This is actually finally getting off the board. Yes. It's a Discord cast. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, oh, and I think we... Shout out to Discord for being the backup solution. You know what? Why Shout just, out. We should just like switch to Discord fully. You know what? I think that's a good idea. I mean, it seems to be more stable than Skype. Because um, like, there's a reason Discord is so popular in the video game and chatting community. Yep. Right now, Extreme, anyway. Ex- extremely popular. So we actually recorded a bit of this podcast on Skype, and this wasn't working out for some reason. And now we're on Discord. Yeah, Skype. Skype definitely has an issue with bandwidth. That's uh, all I can say. They <laughs> seem to be a bandwidth hawk. Skype. Most likely. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. wait. Did you know that last week was supposed to be the anniversary episode? Oh, and we said we were going to do something for the anniversary uh, episode, too, but we didn't. Oh, maybe we can do one on the weekend. We probably should. I mean, it is it is the one-year anniversary, isn't it? Yeah. Of the Everycast 91, now on Podbean. Oh, <laughs> yes. Well, technically, we are now on Apple Podcasts. Oh, yeah, that Podbean. too. Because of Podbean. So yeah, check us out on Apple Podcasts, where we're like super famous now, and Apple's paying us a hundred million dollars to do this With, podcast, and we're both <laughs> getting a cut, except for yeah, Sasina's not getting a cut <laughs> because she's not she's not a, a full time co host. She's uh, she's our uh, special guest, uh, yeah. So she's not getting the cut of a hundred million. So sorry, Asina, who is at work right now, or just coming back from work. Okay, anyway, um, let's go uh, introduce uh, this topic. Yeah, so uh, why don't you go ahead and do it, because uh, you had a lot to say. Alright, so uh, as everybody knows, or may not know, if you are a foreign national or a tourist to Canada, uh, over the last few weeks, there has been a series of blockades across the country, starting in um, B.C., and making its way out east in Ontario, and even in Quebec, actually. And it's all to do with the um, the green lighting, or the green lighting, of, green lighting of the coastal gas link uh, liquefied natural gas pipeline that is supposed to go from Dawson Creek to the BC-Alberta border, um, so the BC Alberta border is going to have an export terminal um, where that is. Um, it's basically to transport to um, transport liquefied natural gas, gas and export it to the world, pretty much. And the pipeline actually goes right through native land, specifically the Wet'suwet'en uh, land. So um, that's how you pronounce it. I didn't want to even attempt to pronounce it because <laughs> I don't. Or, I knew I was going to butcher it completely. <laughs> yeah, I just heard it on CBC a lot, and they seem to pronounce it Wet'suwet'en or Wet'suwet'en. Um, I'm going with Wet'suwet'en. Wet'suwet'en. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah, and th- I think the main issue with the um, whole blockade um, is that basically. It, people are saying that all 20 elected band members, uh, including the Wet'suwet'en um, natives, supported the project, 
but the problem is elected band council native councils are not seen as legitimate legitimate in the native culture or aboriginal culture because its right. roots yep. are identified in the colonial indian act mm-hmm. we all know i'm sure you know what that is yep yeah uh, you know uh with the whole um residential schools and uh, persecution of the natives throughout Canadian history. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so uh, it, it's understandable that uh, you know, for you know, the natives directly partake in these protests and um, like uh, protest close to the blockade site like uh, in BC but it's debatable where when the protests start to co- go across the country and start to affect more of the country that probably will not be affected by the coastal gas tank pipeline as much as um, the natives directly in that area. For example, um, the blockades in Tendinaga in uh, Belleville yep. and uh Kanawake in Montreal, Montreal, blocking the Pont Mercier or the Mercier Bridge, and this, and also the Six Nations of Grand River blocking the uh, Go Tracks in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem to be disrupting more trade, especially with regards to um, propane and groceries out east. And there's actually a big concern in Quebec um, that they are sort of running low on propane. And um, and with every day of the blockade, um, it takes four days or something to clear um, all the backlog of shipments Mm -hmm. that are um, going through and whatnot. Uh, So... I don't know you. What are your thoughts? Uh, it goes. It, it goes back quite a long time, doesn't it? Uh, this whole this whole uh, issue with the the pipeline. It does. I, yeah. If if I remember correctly, uh, like uh, I think it was a year ago or even two years ago, uh, there is this whole debate about whether it was ethical or not to sort of have this pipeline run through um, native territory or native reserves. And there are a lot of outspoken advocates uh, sort of against this idea because uh, they thought it would lead to, um, you know, I thought it would lead to what we're witnessing now, actually, uh, with this, with all this, uh, uh, I guess anarchy would be too harsh a term to put it, but it's always a fun word to use. Um, I mean, we haven't gone full Mad Max yet with uh, people blowing up trains and, uh, uh, you know, uh, riding their technicals alongside the, the train tracks and shooting that train. So we're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not at that point. No, yeah. Yet. Um, but um, yeah. it's interesting to note that um, the Montreal br- like band of Mohawks in the Kanawake, I mean, the Kanawake uh, tribe... Yeah. nation um, they're actually the tribe that was involved in the Oka crisis the Oka crisis yes correct which is kind of scary 
because we don't want it to get we don't want another oka mm-hmm. uh especially since in that territory uh the only sort of law enforcement that has jurisdiction jurisdiction is the the ones that are native to the land or that nation which is which are called the um sorry the M- Montreal or Montreal peacekeepers or Mohawk peacekeepers no idea actually I think here I had it just a second peacekeepers where are they right here Mohawk oh yeah leader. for the for the people who don't know what we're talking about and the Oka crisis it was by, Sorry, in a nutshell, yeah. it, was, it was basically this event in uh, 1990 yeah basically where there's like this, this, yeah, this this standoff between basically, uh, I mean, they, the Canadian government brought in the army and everything. Uh, so they have uh, the Canadian army and a whole bunch of sort of uh, activists and uh, Mohawk warriors. And I believe um, there was one casualty on the Canadian. Well, we're all Canadian here, but you know, when I when I refer to Canadian here, I'm talking about the government. So there was like one casualty on the Canadian side, and there was like. Uh, a whole bunch of people wounded on the on the Mohawk side. So it was yeah. it was pretty big. It was a pretty big thing here in Canada um, all those years ago, and a lot of people, like you said, uh, they're worried that we're going to get something like this where the government's going to be forced to bring in the army and resolve it uh, using force. Yeah, I think the problem again with the uh, the Oka crisis was that that was a raid on the Kanawake Nation. Basically, yeah. the Kanawaka peacekeep- peacekeepers, and they basically said, "You know what? Screw this. We're going all in with force," which is actually the direction the, uh, not the direct direction that the federal government is actually choosing to go on, and uh, even yeah. the Quebec government. Yeah, I actually applaud Prime Minister, the Prime Minister, Mr. Prime Minister Trudeau's words and his caucus's uh, plan of action in this case basically they what they've done is they've assessed the situation and they've sort of um, said you know what we're going to go about this peacefully but the blockades have to end right even though it means we're going to have to arrest some people uh uh, we're gonna do about go about it peacefully, Peace, and, as peacefully uh, as we yes. can. Right? Yeah. I mean, we no one wants another Oka because I mean, <laughs> it's it's a very it's a very scary situation. Whenever you get the military involved, I mean, we, we we're seeing uh, the whole scare in Hong Kong with China sort of deploying military units to the to the border and whatnot. And we know when the military gets involved, things get serious. But um, if it ever did come to that, um, I guess I'm just like throwing this question right off the bat. Do you think it'll be as, as bad as Oka or even worse, considering uh, like the national repercussions with the, 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 uh, the train lines and uh, the economy at stake? Uh, I personally think it, in my, in my, yeah, it would, because uh, there are national interests at stake and it could be honestly like it could be another sort of genocide of like like of the native indigenous communities not that i'm putting like i'm 
I'm saying another because over the past hundred years, there essentially was a genocide of the Aboriginal community. Oh yeah, it was one big genocide, right? Yeah, one big generational genocide. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it would be like worse than Oka, like much worse, because um, people are actually saying that Canada is a like it's close to being a banana republic now in terms of a uh, place to invest or a pl- uh, place to um, get foreign uh, investment. People are saying, you know, is Canada a safe place to, um, or or is it just another uh, volatile nation that you know can break up in or uh, in any second or in any moment? Right, uh, which is kind of worrying for Canadians, actually. If you think about it, if people are actually associating us with um, the term "banana republic," uh, because um, obviously that could that has serious uh, repercussions or serious of effects effects to our economy, um, and uh, like just. And we're already seeing some of it with the coronavirus. We don't need like, another sort of... <laughs> right. <laughs> we don't need to have this another wave of uh, economic downturn, like uh, potential downturn with um, our own infighting, mm-hmm. sort of, so to speak. Um, because... And, and I was reading um, an article where, like, so... With the pipeline, indigenous communities would actually um, pl- stand to gain immensely. Uh, and just to construct the pipeline alone, uh, 2,500 jobs would be created, and primarily in the indigenous communities, and 7,500 jobs would be provided between 2021 and 2024, again, primarily in the indigenous communities. And this actually is huge uh, to bring the indigenous communities out of poverty because uh, right now indigenous communities the the state of them like it's just it's just so like saddening to see because they also make up about 5% of the population and uh, 30 but 30% of them end up in federal uh, prisons yeah it's it's a very sad scene. Uh, if you if anyone has sort of studied, uh, I guess anything to do with uh, Canadian political science or even uh, Canadian history and uh, culture and whatnot, you will uh, understand what we're talking about uh, with the whole uh, native scene and the native community, with how hard uh, they have it, and a lot of. Uh, a lot of uh, negative stats are sort of attributed to them. Uh, I mean, you have. Uh, I'm not sure what the numbers are for, like, drugs and alcohol, but it's pretty bad there. And, of course, we have the, the very uh, infamous issue with uh, missing uh, indigenous women. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's uh, pretty uh, hectic uh, with the indigenous uh, populace as a whole. Let me just pull those stats. I think it's about... Uh, sorry, you can hear the keyboard. In the uh, I can't, you can't hear it. It's like, <laughs> it's like a piano going on there. <laughs> piano recital. <laughs> yeah, but um, 
with regard yeah again with regards to the drug abuse um in the indigenous communities i think between it looks like i just pulled up an article it says 70 um so indigenous drug users account for like 60 percent of kids in foster care no sorry indigenous people not sure and less than um uh, that's one stat that i was able to pull up here indigenous children are uh, 16 60 less than no 60 percent of the kids are in foster care so yeah i mean that 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 gives a pretty decent picture of the entire thing i mean for for five percent is it five percent of the total population yeah so, yeah, for 5% of the total population, I mean, uh, 60% of kids in foster care, I mean, that's that's pretty bad. I mean, that's very bad. That's uh, that's awful, actually, yeah. Um, so you can, you kind of get the whole, like, their grievances um, with the Canadian government as a whole, all things considered. But at the same time, I think, like you said, you texted me the other day, and this is a very, a very uh, um, important thing to consider. It's like you can't, uh, while of course respecting um, the uh, the suffering that uh, the Native American population of Canada has been through, and they've been through a lot, and it's very sad, and people should be um, working to help them. But at the same time, like you said, you, you can only blame this current generation so far, right? You can't hold like Trudeau's government responsible for what. Uh, you know that colonial government did back then. Of course, of course, it, it is said that um, the effects of colonialism and post-colonialism it it runs through generations, and it does. I agree with that, and I'm sure you agree with that yeah. too. But you you still can't sort of shift the blame from people like um, uh, what, what's 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 his name, uh, the first prime minister of Canada. Oh my God, uh, uh, John A. Macdonald. Don A. McDonald. I mean, he was a racist bum. Let's let's not let's let's not uh, uh, sort of sugarcoat that. Like, oh, I you fully agree. You can't you can't shift the blame from was like Sir John A. McDonald um, to Justin Trudeau because I mean, there's a whole gap in the generation, and Trudeau is not responsible for what uh, Sir John A. McDonald did or what any other racist prime minister of the past has done. So, I mean, people and I, again. Like you said too, we like I applaud Trudeau as well uh, for his sort of uh, stance and approach to this. Sort of like guys, let's let's talk, right? And and both sides are saying, you know, we want to sort of de-escalate uh, the situation and we want to talk, but it's more so like the mob out there that's that's going crazy and um, sort of staking out uh, these uh, construction sites and like saying, no, you guys aren't going to build this pipeline. But a lot of the leaders are saying, "No, guys, we need to talk." Right? And, yeah. uh, and it's 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 a step it's a step in the right direction, with the sure. exception of Jason Kenny in Alberta. Right. <laughs> <laughs> These blockades will not be tolerated. Oh, uh, come on, man! I <laughs> uh, didn't. Uh, no, Sheer Sheer hasn't said uh, stuff like that. But he said uh, he said that Trudeau yeah, doesn't have actually a plan. Been... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that, that's what that's what uh, Shira said. He's like, "Oh, yeah, Trudeau doesn't have a plan to stop any of this." Yeah, I don't, 
don't think he's gone as far as saying like we need to like you know uh, kick these protesters off off the tracks by force. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think he said that. He's actually say like um, commended the pipeline to um, bring up the indigenous communities, which is actually uh, very uh, admirable of him to say. Mm-hmm. As the opposition leader in the house, I haven't heard much from the NDP about it. I'm nope, sure. I haven't heard anything actually. Um, Jack, I think Jagmeet's silent. Jagmeet is uh, silent. <laughs> yeah, because I think they like they don't want to speak out against the protests again because the, their base, their their voter base. Like wants to help the indigenous communities, but at the same time, if they do speak out against the uh, protests or in favor of the f- protests, they they fear alienating, you know, their base by saying that oh, um, do you not care or or are like their base might question, you know, are they actually in favor of Canadian interests? Or um, are they just um, being like uh, anarchists? Right. (laughs) I think I think I I mentioned that today. Like I don't want to. So the there are there are Native American protesters. uh, I think the majority are. Um, So they are Native American uh, who are sort of standing up in solidarity with. um, Oh God, how do you pronounce it again? Wet'suwet'en. Wet'suwet'en, yes, with the Wet'suwet'en natives. So they're all like acting in solidarity, saying, you know, like we're like uh, one clan, one tribe, and they are taking up spots along the railways and blockading them. Uh, so yes, the, I think the majority—I would say the majority of these um, protesters are, in fact, indigenous peoples. But but there are also a lot of uh, others who are sort of hijacking this <laughs> this movement. To sort of get their own message across and sort of push forward their own agendas, and I think I think uh, there have been a bunch of climate activists too, sort of spotted yeah. in the mix, which is actually pretty shameful if you think about it. I know that climate is important, and even Greta Thunberg has spoken out in favor of the Wet'suwet'en protests, but mm-hmm. like piggybacking to make it like your own cause it doesn't make it you know you're saying you're in solidarity of the Wet'suwet'en land but you're actually not you're actually your your motives are doubles like double standardized I suppose and um, you're you're just fooling yourself and you're fooling everybody else um, about what your true motives are and I don't know that 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 doesn't strike me as being honest about what you're fighting for. At least say you know what, stop, you know, pipelines from being built because of climate oh, sure. reasons. Yeah, for oh. sure. Because the future. Well, actually, let's be honest. Uh, Canada has some of the strictest green energy policies and lick this sorry some background here with uh, liquefied natural gas is actually one of the cleanest form of petroleum and natural ga- natural gas but the future definitely is in cleaner forms of energy exactly so it's okay to protest against pipelines 
and make your uh, views known that you're actually against the construction of pipelines, not just you know piggybacking off the what Sutton cause, and uh, you know making it seem like you know you're you're afraid to sort of voice your opinion, so you're joining these guys in solidarity. Air quotes. Yeah, and it it's, it makes them seem like opportunists more than anything else. It's like I mean, because they wouldn't they wouldn't dare do this by themselves. They just like they they see this opportunity now that now that the um, the natives are sort of taking a stand and taking drastic action by setting up these camps along along the construction sites for the, the pipeline. So they they look at that and say, hey, this is this is where we can sort of cut in. And um, help them, you know. Help but we're, them. we're actually uh, forwarding our own agendas here by uh, speaking out against the pipeline itself, and not just um, this idea of uh, native sovereignty or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. And <clears throat> because, and the way. Actually, I think Tuesday was it yesterday. The police tore down a block blockade in Toronto, and the way they right. just quickly went in and just made arrests. That they clearly said that these guys are just you know people causing mischief. Exactly. <laughs> there is actually uh, a protest here in Ottawa too uh, on Monday or Tuesday. Um, so it, it was like um, it was actually it was actually a. Native Americans, um, from what I understood. Oh, okay, that's here cool. in the here in the capital, and so they sort of allowed them to do, and they like went up uh, Bank Street, basically, um, sort of campaigning against the pipeline and um, um, everything it, it sort of stands for, and they they allowed them to do it uh, despite this, uh, sort of um, the road closures and stuff, uh, but. From what I understand, there was no sort of um, uh, chaos or anarchists or uh, climate change advocates involved. Uh, there were, I, I think, I guess there were a few among them, but it was just mostly um, natives standing in, in solidarity with the uh, oh God. I keep forgetting how to pronounce them. Wet'suwet'en. 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 I'm gonna keep saying that over. <laughs> I, I don't I don't like butchering people's yeah. names because you know being being a brown guy with an Arabic name. Oh I, yeah, trust I get, me. I know how it feels. I know how it feels when people butcher butcher my name. I, I definitely I, know that too. That feeling. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I try I try to refrain from uh, butchering yeah. people's See, names. I've gotten so many. Yeah, minor digression. I've gotten so many uh, mispronunciations. Ubayad. Obad, obeyed, obad, obi, obi, obi. The worst, the worst I've gotten called was, is waylead. <laughs> I'm like, okay, uh, it, was, it was in, it was in university. One of my TAs just called me waylead, and I, I didn't correct her, so I was waylead for the, like the rest of the entire semester. I'm like, whatever, this is my, this is my life now. <laughs> oh god, that must have been bad. <laughs> <laughs> And someone else started calling me Willie too because I didn't correct them in the oh, same class. In, in, in the same class, so it was partially my fault. But it's like there's only so much you can do. You just get tired, right? It's like whatever. Like you guys can call me whatever. 
Yeah. I don't really care. Uh, but yeah, sorry, uh, huge digression from the topic uh, at hand. No, no, uh, that's okay. Um, yeah. Um, what was I? Where was I? Uh, oh yes, the blockades and. <laughs> So, seeing as the, like, again, with the whole issue around the blockades, actually, um, the native, even some of the native uh, sub-chiefs and uh, matriarchs have spoken out against um, the way the blockades have, yeah, yeah, the way the blockades have been handled. They've actually, they're actually saying that even though they're hereditary chiefs, this is not how we should, or they should, their Approach culture of, yeah. yeah, peaceful reconciliation. This is not how we should deal with it, and uh, how, um, even though you know, the whole Indian Act, um, it it's basically rendered illegitimate by their nations. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not, it's not legitimate or illegitimate by the government yet, and they should talk like they should. There should be much more dialogue rather than just action without thinking. Which is which is what sort of um, people have, or experts and people in academia have said is sort of the best way to move forward um, in terms of repairing the relationship between sort of the Canadian government and the First Nations people. Exactly. Because... People, because Without without dialogue and uh, you know peaceful resolution, you're not going anywhere. You're just sort of stuck in you know that same colonial rut when you have like you know people butting heads and you have so these sort of uh, uh, events like the Oka crisis. It 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 doesn't bode well for both sides because at the end of the day, we're all part of the same country whether we like it or not. And better than sort of fracturing it, you know, fracturing our sort of relations. We need to move forward with dialogue and, you know, bringing people together to talk about certain issues. Of course, it's not all uh, roses and rainbows. Uh, and like no one, no one says it's going to be easy, uh, you know. As is evidenced by you know things like the Yoko crisis and you know, what we're seeing, what we're seeing now, yeah, uh, with, with these blockades. But you know the approach that Trudeau is taking, uh, sort of you know let's de-escalate and talk about this, you know, uh, to sort of reach a peaceful resolution is the way we have to go. And I absolutely agree with you know those. Uh, those chieftains and matriarchs were saying, "No, this is not the way," because it's it's not the way. No, it isn't. And um, <coughs> basically, even though you know there have been, even with the with regards to the mur- missing, murdered Indigenous women um, crisis, even though there are still like headway, me um, needed to go to reconcile with the um, indigenous communities there should be that's that's the only way it should be handled it, with dialogue if we just go out there and say you know what let's tear these blockades blockades down 
mm-hmm. um, it's not going to accomplish anything. It's right. just. And you know, this is. It's funny. I saw around the same time this is happening. Um, the there's a crisis in India actually with the whole Citizenship Act. Yes. Where the Indian government is actually um, stripping away, you know, Muslims from their citizenship and uh, doing it force like forcibly. Mm-hmm. Um, that rem- that actually reminded me of how this crisis in Canada should not be handled with um, force. It would actually be handled with a lot more dialogue, and we should learn. We can learn from the past, but we can also learn from incidents in the present around the world in Canada um, wherever it may be we don't have to stick to one option all the time there are so many different options to choose from exactly because I mean where does where does force get you I mean sure it may be needed you know when things reach a boiling point and you know dialogue breaks down and you know you can you can no longer reach a peaceful solution I mean that's just the reality of the world. It happened. But, you know, when you sort of... When, when your first step is to take force, uh, then that's what leads to, you know, further problems. Because you're only sort of increasing the tension rather than, you know, de-escalating the, uh, the situation. Yeah, and it's the same thing, I think, that happened in the, the States with the, the whole immigration crisis there. Yeah, I think it's the same thing there. Uh, that force definitely gets you nowhere, and that's why, essentially, that's why countries go to war with each other because mm-hmm. of force. Because one country took unauthorized force on another, and then the other country want, seeks to s- take force against them, basically. In a that's nutshell, yes. In a nutshell. But uh, there, there's more to it, obviously. But uh, that's the essential component uh, of it. And if you think about it, if we use force against the indigenous communities, there could be, could there be a civil war? I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, Oka, I think they're Oka very nearly got to that point. Yeah, I mean. They, the government brought in the army. There was like what four thousand troops or something like that. They brought in to sort of sort of face down these uh, Mohawk warriors. I mean, it's it's not a very pretty sight. As as cool as it may sound, to, you know, to hear you know the military coming in, you know, their guys with all the troops, the guns, and the tanks and whatnot. It's a very scary situation because one you know bad spark is all it takes and you know the, the, that's the guns start going off and people die and people did die in, in, you know during the Oka crisis there was there was one I think one soldier and there was like a 70 or so wounded uh, Mohawk people uh, you know you, you look at this with the the whole with all the blockades and this is like a, a huge national crisis because it's affecting both the east and west coast yeah uh, and with, with because you know these trains and and the the railways are sort of the the lifeblood of uh the Canadian economy with how they transport goods and services across the country if that if that gets pushed too far you know if if the if the protesters put too tight a yoke on it, then you might be forced to that point where you're gonna have to you know take desperate measures and 
call in the reserves and the army to sort of have a standoff with these guys. You know, it's like, you know, it's a sort of, it's your move kind of thing. And that's not what Trudeau, uh, thankfully, that's not what Trudeau wants to do. But you have to think, if it does get to that point, will Trudeau have the sort of the stones, per se, to take that ultimate step and say, you know what? Uh, unfortunately, dialogue has broken down. We can't, we can't reach a peaceful resolution. We're going to have to sort of bring in the army. Do you think? Do you think he'll do it, or as Sheer says, Trudeau has no plan at all? <laughs> well, I think it boils down to: Has it, it, or are we, or how close are we to that? Point? To that point, yeah. Like, I think behind the scenes, the whole the high, like the hive mind, or the the cabinet is sort of working on a solution to solve this and they're they they have contingency plans in the works i i think so i believe so or i'd like to think so anyway um i would hope so <laughs> oh i would hope so yeah <laughs> that's another one because if you think about this throughout this whole crisis um they're like i think the worst to be hit to to feel the effects of this crisis are going to be in Quebec and Eastern Canada if it goes further, and that's that's kind of one I want to point out because uh, a lot of the protests in Quebec have not been focused on a lot in, by the media, even though that that's the sort of um battleground for the Oka crisis. It's only been f- focused on in Quebec specifically because that's localized. But I think the protest over there happening uh, on the Mercier Bridge by the uh, Kanawake and the Kanasatake nation, I, I think I pronounced that correctly. Hopefully. <laughs> so they, they blo- they've blockaded the Mercier Bridge and I think this would, like, even in Belleville, Ontario, this, like, the blockades there would basically cut off half the country from the other. I know... Basically, yeah. I mean, we were, so, we're, we're connected by the railway systems, right? That's, that's how it's been for, like, a yeah. hundred or so years. Because, essentially, half the country lives east of Toronto or mm. Toronto and east and half the country lives sort of west of Toronto that's that's what I'm picturing <laughs> if you think I'm using Toronto as a metric because it's the largest city for obvious it, reasons yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah um, so that's Toronto bias <laughs> Toronto is the center of the universe <laughs> but uh, yeah I think in when it comes when push comes to some shove Push cuffs to shove. I think Trudeau and his cabinet have a contingency plan in action. If the if it comes to that point, I mean, but, let's, um, hope it, let's hope it doesn't. No, I, I obviously hope it doesn't come to that yeah, point. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. But the provincial governments also, because 
Ontario and Quebec have their own police force. Um, I think that part of that contingency plan is to work with the OPP and the Surette du Québec um, in order to um, stop the crisis either peacefully or with force if it comes to that point. If it comes to that point. But uh, think, yeah. Sorry, could we get a quick time check before we go oh, on? Yes, sorry. 40 minutes. Okay. So we still have some time. Yeah. Um, I think... What What else do you have on your nose? Um, <laughs> I pretty much covered. I exhausted, Actually, my, I exhausted my supply. That's, <laughs> you that's, know what? That's why, that's why I asked for a time check. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I kind of did the same. Except the fact that I didn't talk much about the pipeline, but I think this is more about an Aboriginal issue, more than an energy issue. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's what we uh, we wanted to correct it as, because at its, at its core, that's what it is. Why, uh, the like, as to why the, the, oh my God, their name, the, 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 the Wet'suwet'en? The Wet'suwet'en, I'm sorry, it's the old people of Wet'suwet'en uh, descent here. But yes, the Wet'suwet'en people, like the the core of the issue, it, it sort of revolves around their their sovereignty. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, yeah, right. This pipeline infringes on that, which is sort of why we send it around uh, this podcast. We send it around uh, uh, the native people as a whole. Exactly. Um, yeah. I don't I don't think we we touched upon their demands. I th- is it is it as oh, simple as is it as simple as you know you guys don't build a pipeline on our lands or I haven't really looked into that so um, the basic demands RCMP has to move out of Wet'suwet'en um, basically uh, territory yes yes that's the one I read that's the main demand this morning yes just uh, what else is there and I think I believe uh, that RCMP have done that that's the first demand but also um the, one of the demands is um sorry what's what's the other one um is it is I it believe... you guys don't build the pipeline here is that i would assume that's included. i think yeah one of it has to go around the nation and uh not through. Uh, so, and like, what are the sort of repercussions of not going through the day? Is it, I think, is it more of a cost thing for the government? That's going to cost a lot more to I think do that. The problem with um, the Coastal Gas Link pipeline is that it actually, I think there's there are a lot more environmental effects that they haven't considered, maybe. And also, um, the fact that one big thing is building it through indigenous territory they negotiated with the elected band councils and the elected band councils supported it because it brought jobs and economic uh, advantages to the indigenous community right. which would help lift them out of poverty but if they now build it around the Wet'suwet'en um, lands basically what they're saying is those deals are off like now you can just um hire anybody 
Oh, so you don't get those sort of exclusive jobs. Yeah, basically. That sort of come with the pipeline. I see, I see, I see. Yeah, but also a, a caveat of that. So I was reading a consortium led by Royal Dutch Shell is building an export terminal in Kitimat, Kitimat, BC. And if the pipeline doesn't go through, basically that terminal could be moved outside of Canada. Ah, uh, right. Mm. To a more, like, n- more polluting country, like Russia. <laughs> or, uh, or even Saudi. Right, right. So, like, one of the terms for this uh, this export terminal is that it has to go through uh, sort of the, the, the territory. Or it has to be built. Or it has to be built, correct. Yeah. yeah. I see, I see. Pretty much, yeah. But it's funny. Um, also, I was reading that um, Tech Resources... Another energy company cancelled a project in Alberta, which is not looking good for the oil sands right now. Well, what, so what I'm wondering was that a few days ago. Huh. And I was I'm wondering. Um, and then this article came out how Canada has lost like 150 billion in projects over the last 10 years due to like climate activists or cost or whatever and it it kind of is sad that we're not using our resources to the full potential and also bettering the indigenous communities and the Canada as a whole sorry to cut in here but I no. think I just like uh, a question a really interesting question came to my mind and I, th- I think it's a sort of good way sort of uh, bring this uh, topic to our podcast to a conclusion. Yeah, because it's a, like going back to our like uh, one of our first episodes when we talked about uh, democracies and uh, types of governments. You know how much? Um, hold on, I'm trying to think how to word this. Uh, you know, uh, properly. You know how much bullying should a government take from its people before, you know, they can draw a line and say, hey, that's enough. If you guys push us anymore, you know, we're going to sort of bring in the troops and use them on you, right? This army that we sort of built up to defend you, we're going to flip it around and, you know, point the guns at you. So how much how much bullying or, you know, how much, how much, you know, how much shoving, uh, how much pressure can the, gov- can the government take, the democratic government take, or should it take before, you know, it turns around and you know, it goes against its population. <laughs> yeah, basically, how much opposition can um, a country take before before the government says, "You know what? This is we're not going anywhere. We're just at exactly. a standstill. Yeah. yeah, we need to move forward." And I can think of so many ways we can move forward in Toronto because of politicians. Uh, no, let's not get into that right now. But, um, <laughs> he, has a, yes. he has an entire separate list for that. <laughs> no, yeah, we need to move forward. And this, I'm sorry to say that I know the Wet'suwet'en cause is pretty... I'm sure it's a valid cause. I don't no, like is. to support it. I know it is. But... Um, 
I think we're holding our country back if we let this go on any further. For sure. I mean, like like we said earlier, I mean, if we aren't talking, then what are we doing? We're just sort of, you know, angrily scream at each other. We're not pointing guns just yet. Um, and we're just not doing anything. And again, we're all part of the same country, whether we like it or not. And if if we want to move forward, then we as a people, of course, we should exercise our the rights that we have in a democracy. In that, you know, we ha- we can sort of see, you know, if, if the government's doing something wrong, and we should be thankful that we can sort of speak out uh, against it. But at the same time, at, at what point is enough enough? Right? Are we are we complaining too much? That's the point where we can't we can't do anything. I know we're, our, our our country is sort of stagnated due to this sort of constant clash between populists and elected government. Oh yeah, for sure. And not only populists, um, you know, um, any sort of activist movement that sort of gains. Uh-huh. St- traction uh, in you know I know this the whole climate emergency thing is important and I think that's the m- most important cause that we have to be fighting for right but I think if we bring those causes to our elected officials and say you know what do something now and you know you know, sort of drown their inbox or phone lines with, you know, concerns rather than, you know, taking it to the streets and inconveniencing everybody. I don't think old man yell or old men yelling at clouds is <laughs> a, a very good idea. It's a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't accomplish anything. Except sort of disrupting the economy. Basically, yeah. yeah. And, and basically, I think in a way it's kind of it's kind of funny to see like the markets dip because everyone knows that the wealthy control the markets but at the yep. same time it's not good for the economy not at all exactly <laughs> not at all i mean it's not good for anyone well, wealthy poor or you know middle class when something like this occurs cuz we're all affected I exactly mean, yeah we all buy groceries we all buy uh, i mean if you have a barbecue <laughs> propane propane <laughs> no <laughs> barbecue, actually right <laughs> a lot of people in quebec use propane to heat their homes right exactly exactly that that's a good point i, I forgot about that I and mean, when you look at it that way the the whole issue becomes even bigger because i mean this is uh, we're in the dead of winter in february and it's freezing cold and you know people aren't getting the propane that they're they're freezing to death in their homes because you know like you said that's that's their main source of heating so we should try and resolve this as quick as possible as uh, peacefully as possible because we we don't want anyone getting hurt uh, at the end of the day we're all Canadians here exactly and again this is not to take away from the indigenous cause because I, I recognize how much of a tragedy and how much of a sort of ethnic cleansing went through um, Canadian history to yes. the indigenous community and lives were definitely lost I'm sure but that doesn't give someone a right to just disrupt the economy and sort of 
you know, endanger somebody else's life who is, you know, far from affected, far from sort of supporting the whole gen- genocide and ethnic cleansing of indigenous communities in the past. Exactly, exactly. I'm sure Canadians nowadays look at the past and, and probably um, just um, have learned from it. I'm I sure, mean, hope, at least, hope, hopefully. Hopefully. Yes. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are a few nut bars. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but, for sure. But uh, I'm sure most Canadians are decent enough to sort of... It's real. I mean, I mean they, they, they teach that in schools. Now. Exactly. I mean, our, pa- our past... Well, I mean, there's there's no hiding that. We've, we've acknowledged it. Yeah, exactly. And that's the first step, really. Acknowledging the past and learning from it. Because, Hopefully. you know what, if we... Uh, what what's the saying? Um, those who um, don't remember their past are doomed to repeat it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, those who don't know their history are doomed. Don't to know repeat. their history. Sorry, uh, I'm I butchered that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the famous quote: "How could you?" <laughs> I I was in Istanbul too, and I completely forgot about it. <laughs> Yeah, that's another story for another day. Uh, Turks do not care about hit their history that much. No, they do not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, but yeah. Uh, on a sort of a AOE two field uh, history uh, thing here. Uh, yeah. Um. So uh, we're at, I would assume, like fifty minutes by now. Yeah, fifty three minutes. Fifty three minutes. So it, we we should probably wrap it up here. So yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, let us know what you guys think uh, about the, the blockade crisis here in Canada. I mean, it's affected a lot of people in very uh, adverse ways. Uh, so, and I think the important question to ask, or not the important question, or the interesting question to ask to everyone out there is, how should we resolve this conflict? You know, should we uh, continue to engage or attempt to engage in dialogue and sort of sit down? And let's, I mean, let's be honest here. When we do that, when we take that path, it's obviously not an overnight thing. It's something that takes like, you know, weeks and months to do so, uh, which does leave certain gaps in the Canadian economy. So should we continue to engage in dialogue? Or, you know, for the people who support more forceful action, uh, you know, should we call in the army and bring together the sort of armed forces and sort of forcibly remove these protesters? Uh, if so, uh, do let us know with your reasons, because we are always open to that and we do love good discussion on it. Yes, uh, do let us know. And let us know how we did in this podcast. Um, what did you think about our research? What do you think about our commentary? Uh, we always appreciate your feedback. And check us out on Apple Podcasts and wherever you hear these podcasts. Uh, Podbean. Podbean, yes. <laughs> Podbean. <laughs> That's we're not on Google yet, but um, we're on Apple. Apple Podcasts and Podbean, um. So yeah, do do check us out and leave, let us know what you think and you know leave all your comments and insights and uh, yeah uh, that's it for this episode episode thirty one 
I next. guess we will see we will see you next time. Where whenever next time is, it could be a Monday, Sunday, Wednesday. I mean, we don't have a set schedule anymore. We're also uh, busy stuff. We'll probably see the anniversary episode next. Soon, hopefully. <laughs> I think next. All right, next. We could do that. Yeah, for sure. I think so. All right, everybody. Have a good night. Good evening. Good morning. Whenever. Whenever. Yeah. Whenever. Whenever. Whenever you know you're listening to this.